0: This episode of Rewind of the Living Dead is brought to you by nightchannels.com, the only place on the internet to get that darker side for your t-shirts and hoodies. These are amazing, unique t-shirts and hoodie designs for a cult, music, literature, and films. Of course, they got loads of amazing horror t-shirts. There's this Texas Chainsaw one that you gotta have. They got Alien, but they also got these deep cuts like Begotten. You know Begotten, right? Because you're a hardcore horror fan like I am. Or Guinea Pig. It's like that across the entire site for their music, for the anime, for other kind of media categories. Such cool designs that you're not going to find anywhere else. Go on there. There's no way you're not going to get a t-shirt or hoodie. I guarantee you. Tons of color options. The t-shirts have two fabric options. Classic, 90s style, which is Gildan or that great modern combed cotton Bella option. And the best part about all this, these are one of a kind designs and all of it has really great competitive prices. In fact, if you go there right now and you enter the code rewind at checkout, you get 13% off. That's right. 13% off at checkout. If you let them know that rewind of the living dead sent you. Uh, so when you're at the next convention or concert and someone asks, where'd you get that shirt? The only answer is at nightchannels.com and be sure to visit them on Instagram at nightchannels as well. Um, That's N-I-G-H-T channels.com and be sure at checkout to enter the code Rewind to get your 13% off. Rewind the Living Dead is a review show, so spoilers are ahead.
1: Author Paul Tremblay had already received international acclaim for his past books including A Head Full of Ghosts, which earned the 2015 Bram Stoker Award for Best Novel. In 2018, Tremblay released his newest work called A Cabin at the End of the World, an apocalyptic yet intimate tale about faith, belief, and the end of the world. It didn't take long for Hollywood to get interested in an adaptation, with the original writers behind a screenplay reaching out to famed director M. Night Shyamalan about producing the project. Unfortunately, he loved the story but didn't enjoy one particular aspect to the book, and that made him shy away from signing on to the film. Time passed and the same team returned to tell him that they actually really enjoyed his idea for the changes from the source material. Rather than just produce, however, Shyamalan decided to take on the entire project himself as both a director and a co-writer. The final adaptation centers around a family confronted by four strangers, promising that the end of the world is upon them unless they are willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. Your family has been chosen to prevent the apocalypse. You must sacrifice one of the three of you or the world will end.
0: We're not sacrificing anyone. Then Williams will perish. saw something in the light make a choice
1: knock at the cabin where it are in the latest episode of rewind of the living dead we're going to keep an eye out for biblical disasters and catch some grasshoppers as we review the 2023 film knock at the cabin
0: And I'm Patrick Guerra, and Damon, I need you to make a choice. Are we going to do this podcast about A Knock at the Cabin or not? We are, which means it's the end of the world. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, we, we are going to talk about,
1: okay, so Knock at the Cabin, the new film from M. Night Shyamalan, a director that is kind of a divisive director, let's be honest, Patrick. There's people who yeah. love him, there's people who hate him, there's people who are conflicted. Uh, by him, of course, M. Night Shyamalan came to fame through his first—not uh, well, his first movie, but his first prominent film, which was a six, *The Sixth Sense*, which uh, was nominated for Oscars and and is known for potentially one of the greatest twists in uh, film history, uh, starring the great Bruce Willis, of course, and did really, really well at the box office. And then that kind of set off a career for M. Night Shyamalan, to where his films kind of became known for the twist's ending, which. Was a gift and a curse, if you if you ask me, Patrick. Yeah. And uh, his his film his filmography has kind of taken a lot of dips and turns, and uh, some strange choices in there, and then kind of returned to form more lately. But uh, I'll admit, I am an M Night Shyamalan fan, to be honest with you. I am a big fan of his work, even some of his lesser known or lesser favorited work. I've actually kind of weirdly enjoyed, with the exception of let's say the Last Airbender, which was just terrible. You watched that? Okay. I never I, even bothered to watch it. I that. did, uh, only because I had a friend who was obsessed with the manga and he made me watch it and I was like, "Yeah, okay." And I was like, "This it's like is this?" I was like, "This can't be accurate." And he's like, "No, this is nothing like the source material." And then yeah, I was that was the end of that. The original uh, animation, yeah, I was like, "No, no, no, no,
0: okay, oh, it's terrible." Anyways, yeah. I would have never guessed that you would see the last the la- the last person I would think would see the last airbender would be you. Um Truth be told, I think people get way too worked up about directors. They do. Unless a director is like an actual bonafide shithead and there's a reason to be angry at them. There's a few out there, actually. Or they do things that are like, I think maybe on the level of like a, a Serbian film where it's like, ah, I think you might be a shithead for making that movie. Like, OK, I see that you made it, but you're probably an asshole like for doing it. Outside of those types of people people get way too worked up about directors it's it's sort of a weird group hive thing that's been going on basically since the message board days uh when people talk about films and m night Shyamalan was at the top of that list for a long time right around i think the the village or lady in the water i can't remember which one came first the village um, where the village was first and that yeah right that was, and that was and, highly, and, divisive, and it, highly
1: divisive highly highly
0: divisive and it he became a target for people to just spew hatred and the eh, this M night Shyamalan calm the fuck down, mm-hmm. everybody. He's a really good director. Okay. You can really, you can direct a, a movie that's not that good really well. Like that's a, that's a thing you can do. Um, he's a really brilliant director at the time when, when he was first, when he first splashed onto the scene with a uh, uh, six Sense. people were calling him the next Spielberg and oh, yeah. it wasn't far off. He's got a really great eye. He knows where to put the camera. He knows how to tell a story through the visuals. He's really good at that. Whether whether it's successful or not is up for debate. And and you know, so you don't have to like his movies. That's not what I'm saying. But I think people just get too excited about that shit. Like, calm down. We're lucky that we have talented directors out there. Giving it a shot. I mean, if you were gonna if you were given the shot, you'd take it too. Well, M. Knight is the same way. He takes the shot and he does his thing. And it is a very M. Knight Shyamalan thing. All his movies kind of have a feel and a look and a style to them. Most of them have twists except uh does does a knock at the cabin have a twist i don't know we're actually going to have to get into that because truth be told this was based on a book by paul Tremblay, right yep exactly and now i haven't read the book i know you have we'll get into that a little bit later but um just you're in your what was your initial thoughts coming into this because i'm like you damon i, I actually like look i brought oh. props to the episode
1: i got the props i got my book
0: so that so that whole that whole rack back there with all those books on it that's not just for that's, that's not a display case not not you, just you for read that stuff I have actually read these books yes I have um yeah. so you can but, see behind me all the stuff that I've read it's very yeah, clear
1: it's very it's a dark pit of doom and despair behind Patrick <laughs> That's Garrett.
0: exactly what my life is um, So
1: look, for look, I don't want to go off on a tangent here I want I want to real quick on your director thing because you're absolutely right we do get in that like I am I am a fan of directors and when I say that I don't mean like when they put out a, a film that I'm not a big fan of, do I suddenly abandon them and and go flip out and lose my mind? That's what I have a problem with. I 100% yeah. agree with you. I'm a huge Quentin Tarantino fan. You know this. I've said it on podcasts before. He's my favorite director. Now, Quentin, to me, and I know you're not the Quentin guy. Me, he hasn't had a miss yet. Now, are there films of his I like better than others? Absolutely. Do I, you know, I like Kill Bill. I don't typically go back and rewatch Kill Bill. Mm -hmm. I like it. When it's on, I'll watch it. But it's not one I'll seek out, like, let's say, Pulp Fiction or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where I will seek out watching that film. Like it? Still enjoy it. Kevin Smith is a great example. I love Kevin Smith. Have I loved all of Kevin Smith's movies? Absolutely not. But do I love him as a person? I love hearing oh, him talk. The human being
0: is one of the brightest lights on the, on the planet. I love Eli, Eli
1: Roth is another example. I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan of all of Eli Roth's work, but I love him as a dude, like hearing him talk, his passion for horror films. So, yeah, I'm just a fan. Like, you know what I mean? I don't abandon, M. Night Shyamalan is a great example of that. I have not liked all of his work. I've liked a lot of it. And I appreciate his vision. I appreciate his insight in the way he f- shoots films and the way he tells stories. There's a one of my favorite shows i watched. that's on. It's in his final season right now on Apple TV is servant, which mm-hmm. is a show that he didn't create, but he has kind of run since it started. He's kind of crafted the story and directed a bunch of episodes. His daughter's directed episodes. Um, he just didn't actually create the show, but he's kind of taken it over and I love it. It's a weird show and it's not for everybody. But mm-hmm. I've enjoyed it, so that's how I am with him. And there are there films of M. Night Shyamalan's filmography that I don't like. Absolutely, there are like I mentioned last Airbender. There are other ones on there. Uh, After Earth is another one where I'm like I could never see that again, and I and right. I never I never say I never saw like I could never see it, and I'd be fine with that. Um, right. So to that point, getting into Knock at the Cabin. Nog at the Cabin is an adaptation, as I mentioned. It's a book by Paul Tremblay, who is a a really famous horror author. As I mentioned, Head Full of Ghosts is probably his most famous book. It was uh, was like his fourth or fifth novel, but that one really blew up, won a bunch of awards, and and critically acclaimed. He just actually came out with another new book, I think, last year. Um, Cabin at the End of the World is the name of the book, and it was actually the first book I had ever bought by him. I actually went to the store to the we have a big bookstore here in columbus ohio where i shop and they have a huge horror section so i go there you know once every few months and look and see what they have and i heard about head full of ghosts and they didn't have it and i was like ah damn then i saw this one i picked it up and i read the back and i was like okay this sounds interesting i'm i'm intrigued and i bought it and i read it and i really liked it were there aspects i didn't like sure there's aspects of a lot of books i buy that i don't really like but overall i really enjoy a really good book um When the trailer came out for this, I'll never forget. I'd gotten a notification for a press release because I get a lot of press release stuff that M Night Shyamalan just suddenly released a trailer for his new film at like three o'clock in the morning one night, and I just happened to be up and I got the notification on my phone. I was like, "What is M? What?" And it said, "Knock at the cabin." I was like, "That's weird." And so I watched the trailer. Dave Batista, who I adore by the way um, Really good cast Jonathan Groff who is in um, uh, Mindhunters the great show from David Fincher On Netflix good cast um, Watched the trailer And I was just like This is a cabin at the end of the world Why did what, huh? And I, then I noticed that the very When you look on the materials you see it's based On this and I was like mm-hmm. Why did they change the title so let me start there I don't like the title Of this film Patrick I just don't Oh, okay. knock at the cabin. It's a weird name. I personally, and it's not even because I like the book, a cabin at the end of the world just sounds cooler to me. Knock at the cabin is a weird, to me, it's a weird title. and hmm. And that kind of starts my issues with this film, Patrick, because knock at the cabin and we'll get into it much deeper in spoilers. And there's an interview that proves my point. Knock at the Cabin feels to me like M. Night Shyamalan read this book, put it down, and said to himself, that was pretty good, but I can do it better. Hmm. And that's what this film ultimately is. It's M. Night Shyamalan liking a
0: book and him thinking to himself, I could do it better. Interesting. Okay. I mean, it's, it, I, I'm guessing by your tone you don't agree with him.
1: In a lot of ways, no. Now, to be fair, I'm not saying I dislike this film as a whole. There's a lot of it is not even because let me be clear about this with the whole book thing, because a lot of book readers immediately strike out against TV shows and or film adaptations. It's not as good as the book. I'm not one of those guys. I read Stephen King's The Outsider after I'd watched the show on HBO. The show on HBO was incredible. One of my favorite shows of the year. I loved it. The book is good. The show is better. Hmm. That's not a knock on Stephen King. I read a ton of Stephen King books. I like the book. The show is better. They made a few tweaks and changes in the show that made it better. Stronger hmm. story, stronger character development. Really enjoyed that. The Shining is another example, not to keep piling on Stephen King. I know Stephen King hates The Shining, the movie that Stanley Kubrick made. You and I did that as our first ever episode on this podcast almost four years ago, Patrick. I love The Shining. I don't dislike the book, but I love it. It's another. I keep going back to Stephen King. It's another one. Like it, the book is great, but I love the adaptations they've done. Um, there's a million like this. No Country for Old Men. The book is great. I love the book. The movie from the Coen Brothers is better in my opinion. They don't really make a lot of huge changes in the in the movie, but it's better as a movie. Um, there's a million examples of that. Shawshank Redemption. Uh, what are some other ones I'm thinking of? Uh, casino and Goodfellas. I would argue the movies are better than the books. It's not that they're bad books. It's just the movies do better. So I'm not like one of those guys who's like, "Oh, the book is holy. It's it's untouchable." Um, I'm not that. And so it's not even that. It just feels like because the changes that M Night Shyamalan makes in this in this movie are dramatic changes to a couple of major points that we'll get into in spoilers. That I keep going back to the same point, Patrick. It feels like he read it and said, "I could do it better," and that that kind of bugs me because of how he did it. It's not little tweaks and changes, like he changed the 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 the, the um, demeanor of a character or maybe he changed the name. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It felt like he read it and said, "You know
0: what? This is good, but my version's better." That's how I took this film. Let's let's expound on that in spoilers, because I, and I can't really add anything to it because I've never read the book. I'm a bit of an illiterate, if you, <laughs> I mean, in, in in functional terms, like I just I just don't read. I don't have time. Um, I, I could read on planes, but they have a lot of movies. So I watch those instead because uh, I'm obsessed with movies. Um, and that's kind of how I evaluate a lot of IP that is out there right now. And many of the movies that are out there right now are usually based on a book or a story or something written by somebody. And then writers and directors and producers come in and they tweak stuff. That's kind of how Hollywood runs. Like they're looking for the The Godfather was a a, a, a dime store book. It was just a book that somebody thought was good enough and they decided to make it into something. So this is nothing new. This is what we do. Um, I always think I have like an advantage when I watch movies, comic book movies, movies based on books. Movies based on 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 stuff that already exists in some other format because I don't have to weigh it against the book. I get to just weigh it for what it is. And what I think Cabin uh, A Knock at the uh, Cabin is, is um, a very tense thriller that is almost... Um, well, it's going to be tough to talk about a lot of things because a lot of it exists in spoilers. But from what you can glean from those trailers the the trailers tell you basically how the movie's going to play out you know these these four strangers are going to show up at this door and they're going to tell this this family this family of three that if you don't sacrifice uh one of your own uh willingly uh, the world is going to end you have to do it you have to figure that out and um and that is how the movie plays out rather swiftly rather easily and I'm I kind of oh, here's where I'm impressed with what M Night Shyamalan did Is With such a simple premise, and I don't know, is the book very long? No, it's not very long. Yeah, it's this is a very swift movie, too. I don't know how, let me see how long it is. It's probably runtime of an hour 40, so almost for two hours. He manages to take a very simple premise and stretch it out over two hours and not make it feel like a slog. Like, he knows, like, just the right point to kind of create another little ratchet of tension. And this movie almost starts immediately with tension. And it just sort of sustains itself and it it gets, it goes higher and higher and higher, but it never dips into just fun and, and easiness. And uh, there's a lot of trademarks of the, the, the Shyamalan style, a lot of like looking into the past that that's something he seems to do in a lot of his movies is he will take a moment to go back in time to a character's life before the events that are taking place right now and finding a way to like, use your use your life experience to get you out of the hairy situation that you're in a knock at the cabin has that very much. I don't know how integrated that was into the book. Was it?
1: Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, it's like I said, okay. a lot of the major strokes are the same. I don't want to keep going back to the book, movie, book, movie thing, but like a lot of, again, a lot of the major strokes are the same. We didn't, that's not, that's not effective. And, and to your point there, like, what I really the one thing I did like about this movie that, that that M Night Shyamalan and there are certain directors who do this really really well. Um this is a very claustrophobic movie. Yeah. It all takes place inside of a cabin. You're outside for a very little time in this movie. It's a very claustrophobic movie and you're really dealing with ultimately seven characters. The four yeah. strangers and the family of three, Eric, Andrew and Wynn, their daughter. Um, that's it. Seven characters really for the majority of this film. I love small claustrophobic stories like that. I love it. I love those kind of movies. I love uh, films that all take place in one room. You know things like that. You know, and again, you know when you stretch out from that. But like when it's when it can be self-contained and. A lot of the action all takes place And it's not really, and again, it's a very intimate movie It's not a big action-packed You know, crazy, wild, like when you hear about Like an apocalyptic thriller You're thinking like, you know, Independence Day Or, you know, like, uh, what's that movie? 2012, or like those movies, like these big No, it's not that, it's not that at all And I appreciate that it is so small And intimate and feels that way Um, I know this is a weird comparison You're going to say, how do you make that comparison? It's a lot like Reservoir Dogs Where the entire movie movie is these four robbers, these four thieves or five thieves, whatever, they're basically telling the story of the heist. You at no point during that movie see the heist. You see the aftermath of the heist. You see Mm -hmm. them getting back to the getaway, but you never actually see the heist. It's all told through narrative of them telling the story. Um, Mm -hmm. That's kind of in a way what this is. They're telling you this. They're they're telling you about how they got to this moment where these four strangers came together. They've been told that the world is going to end unless one of the three people in this family family sacrifices themselves willingly they have to make a sacrifice and if they don't the world is going to end and it's it's one of those things like we talk about with like hereditary or other movies that involve faith or religion or demons whatever you want to say where it comes you know, the question of faith really does get 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 in there because you're you're asking you know you're you're asking someone to believe in the unbelievable And that's really the premise of this movie. You're asking. I mean, again, we're going to talk later. We're going to get into one of our favorite new categories, which is could we survive this horror film later in the later in the in the podcast? But that's exactly what this is like. If four weirdos showed up at your house and said, one of you has to sacrifice yourself or the end of the world. I mean, I would laugh in their face like what? You know, it sounds so bizarre. But that's what the, the the tension continues to ratchet up in this movie, and that's what I did like about this movie. The tension, the characters are really well done, and the seven people you meet are all of such different demeanor and different personalities that it works really well when they kind of clash together.
0: Yeah, it it sort of has like um like a, a you know hints of like a post apocalyptic uh, movies where you get a band of people who are complete strangers and they all sort of have a different personality and it all adds something to the story, to the tension. That's very that there's shades of that there. Um there is there is a, a, a to me, a very like on the nose nod to Friday the thirteenth, the original. And that's in the score. Tell me you didn't hear Friday the thirteenth. Like little I, bit, I yeah. heard it. Yeah. It, it was bit. it was like especially in the moments and they show this in the trailer. When when our four um, strangers, played by uh, Abby Quinn, uh, Nika Mbuko, Bird, Rupert Grint, and of course Dave Bautista, when they're trying to break into that cabin, you see that in the trailer. Um, this there's like this these sort of like manic violins going, it's it's like right out of Friday the Thirteenth, and we're in a cabin in the woods. I think it it was very wise of of M Night Shyamalan and company to say there's not going to be a lot of traditional horror in this movie. It's a very tense movie, but we're, we're putting together a horror movie. We insist upon that. And, uh, and this was done last year in a movie that I absolutely adored and and made my, my list of best horror movies of the year. Speak no evil. did the exact same thing. Speak no evil for the most part is not a horror movie until it is, but for for the first like hour or so, they put this score together that is unmistakably a horror score. And I like that. And it, And to me, it's, this, it's a great way to not force horror onto a story that doesn't need it, rather than just to, to create a layer over the top of it, a atmosphere that that not not just not just the tension of the story and all that but there's an there's a full atmosphere coming from the score that says i am in a horror movie i loved that choice and i really enjoyed that part of it and it kept me on my edge and you know i don't know if i like i would say i love this movie but i can tell you that like i was in i was invested and i felt like i was you know i was i, I like 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 i was scared for this family um, played by uh, Jonathan Groff, who you mentioned, Ben Aldridge, who plays Andrew, and their daughter uh, Wen, played by Kristen Kui- Kui. Um, I was scared for them, and I, I'm a parent, so it's very easy to put myself in those in those foot in those shoes. I go, oh, if I was uh, put this premise in front of me with my children and my wife, yeah, I I can understand why this would be absolutely terrifying
1: yeah i know that that all makes sense let me let me also not to shift gears too dramatically here because we are going to get into spoilers a little bit because there's there's something that we again we have to kind of get into spoilers to talk about a lot of the film but um i also want to mention one other thing that one i would say this is a big reason why this film bothered me and this is the second m night Shyamalan film that has been rated r the first one was the happening which was not one of his stronger efforts um it's pretty clear that M. Night Shyamalan enjoys apocalyptic stories. We saw that with signs. We saw what's happening, and we're seeing it here as well. Um, this film is rated R, and I don't understand, because there's some language, and while there is some blood and a little bit of gore, they really don't show it. Right. And so in that aspect, I'm kind of like, this is the reverse of my, one, my biggest criticism for Megan that came out earlier this year, Megan was a film that was PG-13 and my biggest criticism of that film was if it had been a hard R it would have been so much better because they could have pushed the envelope with the kills and the gore and the you know and they and they kind of toned it down. And we heard all about it. They said there's there there is probably going to be an unrated version that will come out because they did push the envelope a lot further. They eventually cut and edited because they found out how popular the trailer and everything had gotten on TikTok and other social media platforms and so they didn't want to um cut out teenagers from going to this movie this film is the reverse it's rated r but it doesn't feel like an r-rated movie and the reason that irritates me is because in a lot of the moments where there could be blood and gore and and again i'm not saying it's a super bloody or gory movie or would it be even with an r rating but in the moments where they could push that envelope patrick they don't and there's a little bit of language but I'm kind of like, why is this rated R? If you're going to make this movie the way they made it, it's a, I, I, really, I seriously, when it was over, I was like, how is this rated R? Like, this is a PG-13 yeah. movie, and I'm not even complaining that it's a PG-13 movie. I'm just saying if you're going to get that R rating, make it worth my time to make it an R rating because there are a few moments of gore in this film, which we have to get into spoilers to really talk about those, but there are a few moments of gore in this film, and if they had actually shown it, that would have upped the intensity and continue to raise the tension because you mentioned it. It's a harrowing situation to be a family of three to get kidnapped and held hostage more or less by these four weird strangers. And these four strangers are all different. It's not like some kooky cult where they all drink the same Kool-Aid. These are four almost strangers in their own right. You know what I mean? They're not all the same personality. They're not all the same people. And so you're trying to figure them out, and then when the gory moments happen, and again, there's only a couple of them, but when they, when the the way the cinematography is done, the way the the effects are done, the way the film is shot, I was like, why are you cutting away? Why are you not showing us what we're supposed to be seeing right here? And why is this rated R? I was, I walked away, <laughs> like I literally turned to my girlfriend, we left the theater, I was like. Why was this? I, why was can you, can you explain to me why it was an R-rated movie? Because I don't understand
0: it. I don't think M night Shyamalan makes that kind of movie. He just doesn't. I think, I think if this had been some, uh, like a, like a a uh, traditional horror director who was very like talented on this, on a similar level to M night, I think they would have shown that stuff. I also think it changes it into a different movie. If you really go, cause there are some moments and we can't get into them right now. in the spoilers where you go, Oh, if you wanted to make this a hard R, th- these moments would be devastatingly ugly, gory, and nasty. They would be really gross. Um, but M Night Shyamalan's not that kind of storyteller. He doesn't tell the story. That, what w- the pattern I've noticed in his movies is he leaves he leaves it up to you. And uh, this is this is something that cer- certain directors do. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying this is this is de- he falls into this category of director who goes. I'm going to show you something just up to the line and then I'm going to cut away and I'm going to let you fill in the blank. Cause to me, that's scarier to, to M night. That's a scarier thing. I'm with you on one level that like this probably could have been a PG 13. If anything, you just got I think you could have cut one scene down slightly and made it and it would have, there's one scene in particular I'm thinking of, I'm sure it's the same one you're thinking of. Um, if you would to cut that scene just a hair, this this is a PG thirteen movie like across the board. It's just it's just not that hardcore. Like like the Dark Knight's more hardcore than this movie, and that's a PG thirteen movie. So I think it's just his style. It's just and I, I I think that he chooses to tell the story that way. And I do think if it had been if it had been an R rated movie of the kind that you and I are thinking about, it would be a very different movie, and it would it like i don't think this movie is set out to disturb us at least you know in the in the iteration that came out on screen it's not it doesn't come out there to like freak us out the way you know terrifier is kind of a bad example it's two apples and oranges um but you know other other movies that kind of fall in like maybe even a movie like smile for instance smile needs to go to that level to freak you out it needs to go that far that dark i think this story doesn't need it necessarily it didn't change like how I enjoyed the movie, but I agree. I'm like, yeah, you could have made this a PG-13.
1: Well, here's why, here's why I disagree a little bit on that when you say it doesn't need it. And here's why I say that because we're uh, so much of this film, you're basically living in the point of view of the three people who have been kidnapped, right? Like that's our point of view. We're living in their world. We don't know what these people really want. We don't know how they got here. We don't know why they're here. They tell us, but they also tell us a lot of things. We don't see it from their perspective and that's all fine. Um their mission, let's just say mission for lack of a better word. We don't know what they're really here about. They tell us what they're here about, but we don't see it. So we're living the majority of this movie living through the eyes of the three people who have been kidnapped, the two f- parents Eric and Andrew and their daughter Wynn. Um we're seeing through, we're seeing this film through their eyes. Um there's Right off the bat, early in the film, there's a particularly horrific, what could be a particularly horrific moment. Again, I know we're speaking a lot of code here because we can't get into spoilers, and we'll get there in just a second. Um, But there's one particularly horrific moment at the very beginning that kind of sets the stage for how serious this is, and I think you Mm -hmm. know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Sets the stage for what's to come because at that Because at the beginning it's 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 really Not it doesn't seem that
0: serious Right like they've kidnapped yeah, you these people know have to like, how, You yeah. wouldn't know how to take these People serious until this thing happens
1: Right and and this thing ratchets Us up and then we we hear it And we kind of see we kind of hear a little bit that we see the aftermath of what this happens and that Kind of we see the shock and the awe on the Faces of the three people who've been kidnapped or Particularly the two people because they kind of hide The daughter's eyes um if you show that though, doesn't it raise the ele- doesn't it elevate the tension when you see the depths and the lengths these people are willing to go to to I don't complete think so. their mission? I disagree. I think that you needed it because you don't see it. You don't really understand it. You don't. You you see the aftermath, but I think seeing the lengths of which these people are willing to go to to complete their mission raises the elevation and raises the tension because in that moment it just feels like it's missing like you don't it's like it's like cutting out it's like cutting out too it's like when you watch a it's like when you watch a great r-rated movie and then they cut out the stuff on tv and then when you watch it on like amc or tbs or whatever and if you hadn't seen the movie before it's a completely different movie because they cut out something that had such an impact that if you hadn't seen it before you'd be watching and be like wow this just doesn't make sense why is it so important? It's because they cut it out. And this is kind of where it feels like this the gravity of the situation would have been elevated so much, particularly with that first initial scene I'm talking about. I'm not saying it needs to get full on like spaghetti nastiness. I'm saying like show me the the show me the links these people are willing to go to to prove their point. And then I understand it better. And and it just, it, it, it fell a little bit, it fell a little bit flat because he refuses to show you that. And I agree with you. That is M. Night Shyamalan's way. He did, even in The Happening, which had far more gore than this film did, um, and even that wasn't ultra gory, uh, but it just feels like, yeah, he doesn't want to take that step. And I get it. I, I, I get it. I'm not, I'm not faulting him. I don't want him to become a filmmaker. He's not. But when it comes to this particular material and you have an R rating, push that envelope and show us the gravity of what these people are willing to do to get to what they want done.
0: And I feel like that came up short for me a lot in this film. Let's let's roll into spoilers now because I have I, I can respond to it and I think it's good because it's kind of near the beginning of the movie anyway. So this will be our spoiler section from here on out. If you have not seen the movie, as you can see, Damon and I are mixed on it. But at the end of the day, it's out there. You need to see it for yourself. You need to hit us up and tell us what you thought about it as well. But let's get into spoilers, and I will respond to what you're saying. They do show exactly the lengths that they're going to go to. They don't show it to you explicitly. That's the difference. And I think what we do here and what we're talking about here is um, everything you see in the trailer is, is basically how the first, like, 10, 15 minutes of the movie go. Maybe the first 10 minutes of the movie go. And then these four strangers are standing in front of this family and they make this proposition to them that you must make a choice. And if you don't make a choice, each one of us is going to have to like sacrifice ourselves. And then they will put a curse on the world. It'll unleash a plague is what they they will unleash a plague. Right? So you got to make the choice. Now they're, they're totally natural and, and rational responses to say, absolutely not you guys are fucking psychos you four weirdos no we're not sacrificing one of ourselves sorry it's not happening well how do you show this family that you're going to take them serious you take rupert grint who plays redmond and he gets in front of them and he kneels down and he's an intense guy to begin with and you see in his face this is this is how m night Shyamalan shapes the situation you see in his face the absolute dread and he's absolutely he's livid because he knows what's coming and what's coming is he's about to die so m night Shyamalan chooses to show you the depths of which they go through by showing you his desperate face he's going you guys need to pick because i don't want to die right now i really don't and i'm not doing a great rupert impression right now i'm not an actor that's not what i'm here to do but so m night says instead of me showing you dave bautista uh, 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 landing an axe into this guy's chest and beating his head into a bloody pulp. I'm going to show you the face of somebody who's about to die, and see the desperate look on it. And Then he puts this white, like, like cloth thing over his face, and even between in, you know, in the in the, you can see kind of through it a little bit. And you can see his his face freaking out because he's about to die. He does not want to die. Then they pull the camera way back, and you see Dave Bautista, who's a mountain of a man. Come down on him with an axe and, you know, what is likely, you know, half dismember this guy. That's how M. Night Shyamalan shows you the depths, the lengths in which these people are willing to go. That's just his choice. Seeing the axe go into his chest, seeing his head come off. Now that's the kind of stuff that you and I get up in the morning for. We like that. It's not what M. Knight likes. He likes the humanity side of it. So the humanity side of it he doesn't show that but what he does show and he does it with all the other people who end up dying is he shows the faces of desperate people who are trying to get out of this situation who want this family who has every right to not believe them because there's no like so, solid solid proof right in front of their face that hey man you guys really need to fucking make this choice or heads are going to roll quite literally yeah. So that's so I think they do show the depths. I, you say they don't. I say they do. And I again,
1: I disagree it's based solely upon the fact that while, yes, you do see the the desperation and the fear on the face of the person who's about to die. um it just raises the stakes when you actually see what they're going through and see what they're actually willing to do to,
0: to save the world. So but to speak. you do see what they're willing to do. Well, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't like not show that
1: they don't, they don't show like it, there's a, just to get to the point of the end of the movie with, with, with Leonard, who is played by Dave Bautista. He you know, tells them like, after I die, You have a few minutes to sacrifice one of you or the world's officially going to go into catastrophic, you know, whatever, and it's never going to come back and you're going to be walking the earth alone because everyone's going to be dead. And he ends up pulling out a knife and he slits his own throat and you don't see the throat slit. You just see the blood come down the shirt. Now, again, I'm not sitting there saying you need to see the full on graphic nature of it, but I just think it like any other death in a horror movie like this, it raises the stakes. When you understand the willing, when you understand how far these people are willing to go to, and it's and again, but, it's, it's but it's did really, you
0: not understand? That's I guess I'm I'm looking at your wording here. You didn't understand how far no, they were no, willing to I go. No, I understood how they're faring to go. But it, but again, we're we're watching all of this through
1: the perspective of the of the people who are being held hostage. And when you mm-hmm. raise that, when you show it, when you show what's being done, it just raises the stakes because they're the harrowing moments. I understood the tension. Didn't really get me though. The tension didn't really get raised for me. Damon, you
0: and I are psychos. It's we went to terrify her it, with a shit-eating grin on our face. Not,
1: but it's not that. I promise you that. It's just like when they were when. So even though I knew it was coming, let's just say Redman is a good example. Okay, I knew it was coming. I've read the book. I knew it was coming. Now, to be honest, the book is actually far more horrific because they don't just kill him quickly. They beat him to death in mm-hmm. the book. They beat him to death, and it's pretty savage. Um, that would be going too far. I'm saying if you're on the M. Night Shyamalan level, like not taking it to that next step of literally beating this guy because it, it lasts for like several minutes. It's not like a quick one chop of the an axe and the guy's dead. This is full on. We're beating him to death. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a little bit more hardcore in this scene. And again, I'm not saying we need to see full on Gore, but just seeing like they wouldn't even show the aftermath of the body. Like, when he falls dead, they drag him out, and they never show you what actually
0: happened to him. But what do you gain from that?
1: You gain the understanding of the gravity of the situation because you're not— Like I said, the tension never really raised but for But I me. knew he was dead. Yeah, but it didn't really— it didn't, Again, you just see like you just see a swing, and you see him fall over. You don't really see what happened to him. You don't see the aftermath of it, and that, and to I me— And I think
0: that's— yeah, go ahead.
1: But that to me always, just like any horror movie out there, Patrick, like any, it always raises the stakes when you understand what actually happened to somebody. When you can see it, visually see it, it's such a striking moment. And that to me, it's not just about shock factor, it does raise the tension. When you see what a person is willing to do, That makes it that much scarier to me. And this, that was, that to me ruined a lot of the tension because yeah, he's dead. I got the point that he's dead. But if you show me how he died and I saw what they're willing to do, when you realize that all these people, all these strangers, Leonard and Sabrina and all the other, you know, Redmond, you realize that. Not only are they strangers, but they seem like pretty normal people. They don't seem like psychopathic lunatics. You know what I mean? Leonard is a second grade school teacher. He may be a big, huge, hawking man. He looks like a biker. Yeah, but he, he's a second grade school teacher. And 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 so when you realize that these people aren't killers by nature, they're not psychopaths. They're not here you know, looking for kicks on a Friday night like the Manson family. And when you see that they're willing to go that far... That to me just raises the intensity. It raises the tension, and that tension got killed, for lack of a better word, in that moment because you didn't. You, they refused to show it. And again, I don't fault M Night Shyamalan for seeing through his own artistic vision. I'm just saying that if you're gonna go for an R-rated movie, then show that it. That I can and, agree with. And if you're and if you're and if you're not gonna show it, if, if the whole point of not showing it is to you want to maintain a PG-13 rating, fine. The right. same. I'll lose the same effect because you didn't show anything. You didn't show the aftermath, the guy being dead. You just literally showed him falling, and then you showed him with a a, a coat over him, and you never
0: showed the after. You never show what actually happened to this guy. We never really know. But you do see Bautista like swinging the axe on him. Like you know I mean, what he's doing. You
1: do. But again, yeah, okay. But again, I know it's a different movie. But imagine you know any great horror movie out there, and you don't actually see it, and it's just. I have it, a pitch
0: for you. Because I I think I know, I think I know, here's me telling, here's Patrick's segment telling great directors what they should have done instead, (laughs) (laughs) which is ludicrous, but I want to pitch it to Damon because I can see your frustration. If instead, I think, I think, I think to, to, to get the Damon Martins of the world who couldn't see just the gravity of it all based on what was out there. I think what I think what I would have changed for an R rating that was still in the M. Night Shyamalan style, which is to not show the gore of it all, is to have them killed in a very ritualistic manner. This was just sort of like, we're going to bury an axe in your head. Okay, like they do it and you kind of see it a little bit and then you just they drag them away because they also don't want the family to witness the horror of it, but they have to. It's part of the gig. It's part of the deal. So if there was a ritualistic thing they had to do, like, for instance, they show uh, Bautista bound Redmond's arms, like pull him up and, you know, his ar- and, then, and then Bautista, you know, again, like in sort of some sort of clever blocking where maybe Redmond's body is kind of covering what's happening. You see that Bautista is like having to basically gut and ev- eviscerate him like a, like, a, like a hunter gutting a deer doing something so horrific not necessarily showing it but showing kind of motion and movement but something that is not as a that is very like typical and recognizable as swinging an axe it's like we have to imagine that he has to claw at the innards of this person and then that to me is like oh okay he's doing something really weird really strange really fucked up maybe it's so fucked up we shouldn't see it yeah as opposed to something like Oh, he's he's planting an action in this guy's head. Well, we've seen that a million times. So maybe do something more creative. How does that how does that land with a Damon? You Martin? know,
1: I I I don't I don't disagree and again because you know, when you're like like I said, like there and there are even creative ways to shoot what they did to make it a little bit more horrific. I'm not saying again, you need to show the full-on butchering of a person. I'm just saying that Like you see the fear on his face in that moment and like the almost like there's like a mix of fear and rage in his face. Like he wants these people to pick, but he's also fearful because he knows he's about to die. You do a back shot. You don't show like show him swinging the ax and it goes to the back of his head. You don't actually see it go in his head. You just see his face go mute and then you see blood and he falls over and you can even have it blurred out a little bit. The choices of not showing anything just kind of muted that the the impact of that scene for me. It just kind of took away the if they. It, 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 here's the thing, the end of the movie when 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 Batista when when Leonard slits his own throat, even that can stay the same if you do I the like first. One, if you do the first one to where you've really if you, just that first one needs to be more intense. Mm-hmm. Show the intensity the 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 gravity. I keep going back the gravity of what the, these people are willing to do. The rest of the movie's all the, you don't really need to do that again. You need to do it once to prove what these people are willing, the links these people are willing to go to, to prove that they're that this really is that that real to them. They're willing to kill one of their own to prove to you how real this is to them. And I just feel like in that moment, they just lost him and they drag him out and you don't see anything. And again, it's not about the gore that I'm missing. It's just that they killed him and I'm like, okay, well, he's dead. I'm like, all right, I get it, kind of, you know? But you just don't I, don't, I didn't feel the weight of his death in that moment because it just felt very quick and over.
0: Do you think at any point, do you think it was sort of a thing where it's like, man, I know how bad this death is in the book and this is just so, so far in the other direction that I'm dissatisfied?
1: No, no, not, not at all. I honestly, um, the deaths, the deaths in this book,, um, like I said, that one is that one is more horrific based solely upon they beat him to death. but it's not again, um, that doesn't bother me. I don't care if they didn't beat him to death. That doesn't bother me. I just feel like not seeing, the weight of that moment in that death we see the aftermath and again the tension evaporated very quick it was it was there and over in two seconds it was not a long torturous but it was torturous for a second when he was putting on the hood putting on the mask and like waiting to die but it was again the whole thing took two minutes it felt like in that moment the gravity the the weight of that moment needed to be bigger and Mm. it felt it failed for me um I don't want to keep getting lost on this, Patrick. We gotta get into categories. Should Let's we go? Get ahead, should we go ahead and talk about the differences between the book and the movie? So I can explain to you what is different, and then we can get into our categories.
0: Perfect time to do that.
1: So there are there are really three major differences, and there's other little ones. I know anyone that's read A Cabin in the, the World who's going to hear me talk about this is going to say you missed all this. No, I'm just going to go three major plot points. Okay. So in the book. The first one is in the book when uh, it's I think it's Andrew goes for the gun in the in the truck and he mm-hmm. and he gets the gun and he ends up shooting Sabrina who is the nurse. In the book it's the other girl, it's Adrian. Is it Adrian? Is that her name Adrian? Am I getting that right? think so i gotta make sure i'm, I'm getting the, the names correct here because I, yes, I, I, mean, I guess Adrienne. Right? yeah so she yeah. was the one she was the one who got shot in the books again minor plot detail really doesn't play a major part until later the second major plot point, and this is the big one, and this is the one that 100% convinced me this was M. Night Shyamalan saying my movie is better than that book. And again, to be fair, it's not that I didn't, it's not that I was so loyal to this book that I liked the book. It was a good book. Not one of my favorite books of all time. Not a book that I'm like, you know, thumping on my chest and all my gods. So to be clear, I'm not saying it like that. Make changes. I just didn't understand this one. There's a scene in the, in the movie where... Andrew and Leonard struggle for the gun in the mm-hmm. bathroom. Right in the book, the gun goes off and it kills when mm-hmm. It kills their daughter.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a big. That's and, a big one.
1: And the daughter and the the, the what makes it even scarier is when it's over. The Eric and Andrew are terrified. They're horrified. They're grief stricken. Their daughter's just been killed. And then Leonard tells them that doesn't count. Right she wasn't a willing sacrifice. So one of you still has to sacrifice yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest, that is the biggest. And that is the moment there is an interview with M. Night Shyamalan. I want to read it. It's from Collider. And they was talking about originally how he came to the book. And he said that, you know, it came to me and he said, I love this premise so deeply. And I think you guys are onto something. I really do. I don't believe in this story when it went left. And when it went left, I assume is when, Win got killed. He's like, I can't get behind that. And I think my audience, I wouldn't want to have them experience that. He never says explicitly what he's talking about, but that's 100% what he's talking about. Is right. when, there's
0: no, mo- there's no moment in the book that's bigger than that. When right?
1: getting killed. Yeah. That's the big one. The third one, I guess there's four, but the third one kind of rolls into the fourth one. The third. So after, Wynne gets killed. They're grief-stricken. Sabrina is still alive at this point. Sabrina did not die. Leonard is still being emphatic, saying you've got to make a choice. It's got to happen. Sabrina finally comes to her senses, snaps out of her cult-like trance and says, I can't let this happen. She kills Leonard and basically lets them go. Eric and Andrew go, and they so she leads them back to the truck that they brought to the house that the four strangers brought to the house. She leads them out and the book ends with Eric and Andrew carrying their dead daughter, putting her in the back of the car and they drive off. You don't know. Did they just start the apocalypse? Cause the other stuff, like the planes crashing, the tsunami, the earthquake, that all happens. That's all proof, so to speak, that the world is coming to an end, but they're still emphatic. We're not going to sacrifice one of us, but their daughter gets killed. Anyways, So Sabrina finally comes to her senses, says, I can't let this happen. She kills Leonard. And then she lets them go. And then we hear her kill herself in the woods. That's how it ends. And the and the family, Eric and Andrew, carry their daughter, put her in the car, put her in the truck, and they drive off. And the book ends with them driving off, and you're left to your own conclusion. Was this real? Was it not real? Now, real quick before we get to the categories, to be fair. I'm not even mad about that part of it not being there. Like they gave it, the film gives a definitive ending that there was an apocalyptic event happening. Them, obviously, we see that Eric ends up sacrificing himself. Eric dies. Andrew and Win leave together, and then they stop at a diner, and we come to understand that all these apocalyptic events have stopped. That's the M Night Shyamalan. The aliens have stopped in signs. The you know the trees have stopped yeah. killing us and the happening. He likes to give us a more happier, satisfying conclusion. That's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. And I'm fine with that. Again, I'm not critiquing that part of it. But the win thing is what bothers me because that's such a big one. And I know that's why he did. That's originally why he didn't want to make this. They wanted to make a very faithful adaptation of the book. And M. Night Shyamalan said that. And he never says this specifically, but I know that's what he's talking about. It's when dying 100%.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I got to tell you, I like the book ending, what you're explaining to me. I like, I like everything about that book better. This movie to me, um, first of all, I don't think M. Night Shyamalan makes that movie ever. He never makes a movie where the kid would die. He would he, I think he really loves kids. I even think he made he made this thinking like I'm gonna make a rated R movie that a kid could go see. Yeah, I think I really think that's and how he's, a father. Be, he, he's mind a father. He's a
1: father. He is a father. And I know he's a, I'm sure he's a father. Suffer. He's a
0: proud father. He he loves talking about his kids all the time. I've sat I've sat in the room and, and filmed his interviews multiple times. Lovely guy, actually, really fun. Like not over serious guy, which I think people imagine he's like really serious and intense. Quite the opposite. He's like a funny jovial type person, but he loves kids. And I think part of him took on the responsibility of a Steven Spielberg who says like, I make movies so kids can feel all the intensity and danger of a horror movie and still watch it probably outside of jaws because jaws is fucked up (laughs) and kids shouldn't watch that. If you don't ever want them to get into swimming pool, don't let them watch jaws. Um, outside of that, I think he, he leans towards children and I think all of M night Shyamalan's movies outside of maybe the happening, they lean towards children or the childlike hope in all of us, because I think he, as a filmmaker, wants to make those type of hopeful movies. And you know me, Damon, I'm a fucking psychopath. <laughs> the ending you're telling me, which would start at the vast left turn with wind dying, I'd have, I'd have stood up like I was watching uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and going, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> yes." Because th- that's raising stakes on another level. Yeah. But that's me, the raging psychopath. I like shit like that, and I love that ending. I and I and I have a theory on why they didn't do the Sabrina Leonard thing. Is because you got Dave Dave Bautista is the star of this movie. Let's not pretend like there's another bigger name. He is the biggest name in the movie. He's a fantastic guy i think that they had to i think i think they reconfigured the story to make sure he lasts until the very end sure. and i did like i actually kind of liked his death to be honest with you. it was my favorite sort of implied death of all of them there's my favorite one this that shot of like sort of his lower waist while he's holding that big blade and then it comes up and they don't show what he does but you know what he does right i like I actually like that but i think they don't kill him be, I, I really I am mean, just total full speculation right podcast speculation You know, fair warning on that. I think they just were like, we can't kill Dave Bautista like that. It's got to go a different way. So I think that's, I'm just theorizing. No,
1: And and you know what? Uh, Listen, again, all that's fine. Like, I don't mind that they like, you know, the whole like Bautista killing himself versus Sabrina killing him in the book. I don't, that doesn't bother me at all. Like, that's totally fine. But the weight of Wynn's death i would have loved
0: that that <laughs> that's that's a weird, a, that's i would have loved to see a kid accidentally get shot. that that that
1: changes <laughs> that changes everything and they ultimately switch it to where eric sacrifices himself
0: yeah i didn't like that's where i started not liking the movie day
1: yeah because at that point you know he has a concussion he thinks he saw a person in the light you never fully understand did he see something or is he just reacting to a concussion And then he ends up sacrificing himself. And I just refuse. And and when you see this whole movie this entire time, even when they get to the point where they turn on the TV and planes are crashing out of the sky at like an alarming rate. And that at that moment, they're like, this is real. Like this is actually something's happening. Even then, the relationship we've seen them build throughout this film, I don't buy that they would that one guy would kill the other. I'm not saying they actually say you can't commit suicide. Like that's it has right, to be a they willing know. they have to be a willing member has to kill another member of the family. I still can't buy Andrew Killing Air. I just don't. I don't buy that. I don't buy I that don't. happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that to me kind of ruined it. And again, it's the wind dying in the book raises the stakes so high, and and again Leonard in the book they don't put, he's a he's a very similar he's a younger guy he's a basketball coach and he's he's a big guy like he's a big dude so the, the Dave Batista casting with the exception of being I think late twenties early thirties in the book that's really the only difference he's a big mm. you know he's the most physically I think the way they describe it, it's the physically biggest guy that win has ever seen. He's a mm-hmm. big basketball guy, so he's a big six-foot-whatever kind of guy. Um, all that's fine. Um, but, yeah, the gravity of that situation, when you take win out of it, she dies accidentally, and yet they're still on their mission to go through with this. Even with that, let's just say the Wynn thing's taken out of it. I just still I don't buy that Eric or Andrew
0: would kill each other. I just don't buy it. With you saying all of what you've just said, now it makes total sense why M. Night Shyamalan originally said no because he wouldn't make that movie yeah that's just not the kind of movie he makes he wouldn't make it so it's just like saying like would steven spielberg make the mist the way frank darabont made it no fucking way he would yeah and the in, he wouldn't he wouldn't let the main character shoot a kid in the face at the end and then have it all be all for nothing that is not steven spielberg and that is not m night Shyamalan. they won't do it and they will and m night Shyamalan is actually the opposite of a lot of directors. He doesn't leave you open-ended. Yeah. He ties it up. He ties everything up. And I, that's where I really disliked the movie at the end. I I liked most of the movie. And then the end really bugged me because it was like, they were literally just explaining. It was too convenient everything. They Too were like, convenient. "Oh, they were clearly the force, four horsemen of the apocalypse and the apocalypse was happening and I kind of saw something and no. and I was like, this is not this is not a strong M Night Shyamalan ending. I was waiting for a massive twist. Now I understand that I don't expect and require M Night Shyamalan to make a twist. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying like it was it was happening so plainly and so on the nose. I go, that's not how M Night Shyamalan ends a movie. Even his more Obvious movies don't end like that. So what's going on here? And it was just, I was like, he just made the end of this movie. Just wrap up so nicely.
1: Yeah. And, and, I, so, that just, and it, it just happens, felt wrong. And it, it, didn't happens feel so, right it happens at all. so quickly too. It happens so quickly at the end. It's yeah. just like, oh, it's over. Here's two things I would change. And I could, it's, here's two things. One thing I'm going to say is kind of maybe a bit controversial. The other one, I'm not. The one thing I'll say about this is with the ending. If you really want to, keep, if you really want to give us an ending, like an an actual ending where it's not as um, open ended as the book, where these two guys just live with their dead daughter, and you don't know really, it was this real, was it not? Like that's the part of the book you don't know. Like was it was it really happening? Was it not? It's left up to interpretation. If you want to not have that happen, let's say Eric sacrifices himself, Andrew and Wynn leave. They stop at the diner, tragedy. They're trying to wrap their heads around everything that happened, and then. The apocalypse continues like the, just like a tornado sighted. Like we realized it was all for nothing. Like it's all happening there. The end of the world may really be happening, but this was all for nothing. Like everything we just sacrificed was for nothing. That would have been a, like a bleak, the missed ending, like you said. Right. Or if you're going to do it just like the book, which is a film you said M. Night Shyamalan wouldn't make. Then my larger, more controversial take here, Patrick, is M. Night Shyamalan shouldn't have made this
0: movie. Uh, That's not a controversial take because I think his instinct was that.
1: And that's ultimately my biggest issue with this film is it's not just the changes from the book. Yes, there's the big one, the wind, death, huge. But the tone of the film is off and it doesn't. And and the ending, when you talk again, when I say it's fine, whatever you do, he wants to wrap it up. That's his kind of movie. Okay, fine. But again, that's my problem is that you just give it. You've just wrapped too nicely of a bow on this story. And mm. it's not that kind of a story. And just truth be told, Patrick, M. Night Shyamalan was not the guy to make this movie.
0: Frank Darabont is the guy to make okay, this movie. Frank <laughs> Darabont should have made this movie. A hundred percent like like a Frank Darabont or like um, uh, it's going to be it's going to bug me if I can't remember his name. Uh, The the guy who did uh, uh, Dark and the Wicked. Oh, um, oh God, now you got me on the I'm pissed off because I... Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, yeah. Brian Bertino, Brian Bertino. Brian Bertino should have made this movie. Yes. Like 100%, it should have been, A, a much more horrific movie because it sounds like the book was pretty horrific, and it should have been made by a a really thoughtful, talented director like a Brian Bertino or a Frank Darabont who is willing to go to the line, step over it, spit on it, And then say, fuck you at the end. Yeah. Like, there are directors who do that, and they do it really well. M. Night is a great director, and I think you're 100% right. He should have stuck with his instinct, which was, this is not the book for me. Right. And, like, really. He he made a good movie up until the end, which usually, you, you go to an M. Night, M. Night Shyamalan movie for what, Damon? For the end. You're, like, almost always when you sit down to an M. Night Shyamalan movie, you're sitting there going... What, how does this all wrap up? Yeah. Always. Well, he wrapped it up like as basic as you could. As, as like, as like on the nose, as Too holding convenient. your hand so convenient. as you could. Yeah. And he's not that kind of guy. He's not even that kind of director who holds your hand through everything. He just shows you in the end. He's like a magician is what he typically is where he's going. Like, you're going to have to follow where my hands are going. And in the end, I'm going to show you something and you're going to go, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. That's that's what M. Night Shyamalan does. And he went against his own instinct. He just shouldn't have made this movie. Well,
1: and as I said, that's what I My original criticism at the very beginning when I couldn't talk about spoilers, M. Night, Shyamalan, M. Night Shyamalan read a book. He liked the book, but said, I can do it better. And I'm here to tell you.
0: I don't know I'm, if I agree with that part.
1: No, I, because he he he. That's what he said. The one he couldn't he couldn't abide by the death of the daughter, and and he and he wanted a more.
0: But see, um, I guess I guess what I disagree with is I don't think he went. I can make this better. He goes, how do I make this so that it so that it fulfills like my well, no, sensibilities mean, that, I mean, as a storyteller? He, when
1: they brought it to him and they said we want we want you involved, um, we want to make a faithful adaptation. He said I'm not your guy because I don't like the big left turn they took. Right. That's him. And then when he goes back and says, well, here's what I would do. And then they come back and say, We like that idea. Let's go ahead that and make was that their film. fault. <laughs> but <laughs> they I know, but I'm saying, no, well But they wouldn't. They didn't it could get also it. it could also be Hollywood saying you don't have a big enough person attached to your movie, we're not gonna make it. Um that can also happen. Having him in shovel yeah. you know. um but, but like him, for but an them, example, but them coming Francis- back but them coming back to him and them saying, Okay, so you my idea works. Okay, we're gonna make my idea. And that's where I say right. it's the I could I read the book, I like the book, but I can make it better. And that's where again, it's not even about them the changes as much as the change. And the choices that he made cha- completely alter the tone of this book and ultimately completely change the tone of this of this material. It ends on a very down, kind of un- like very bleak note. The daughter dies, and you're left
0: questioning, was this what was this all for? Right. Well yeah, no, I, lo- I love a- all that. You know? I love all that. I well, I guess I would rephrase what you're saying. I don't think he took this book and said, I can do it better. I think he said, Well, I guess if I'm gonna do this. Like how do I make it? How do how do I make it more hopeful? I think that's how he thinks about it.
1: Yeah, hopeful's I, hopeful's I, fine. When I yeah. say better, I'm just saying like. Because I think way Francis this-
0: Ford Coppola took The Godfather, which people said was a dime store novel, like like a garbage novel that you you would have thrown away. I think Francis Ford Coppola looked at that and said, "Oh, I can do this better." That's yeah. what. That's that's when someone goes, "This is not that good. I can make it good." I don't think I don't think M. Night Shyamalan said this is not that good. He just went. If you're going to let me make it, then I have to make it hopeful. Yeah, but that's yeah. Which, again, but it was the wrong choice. But we're, I'm we're, saying I'm yeah. agreeing with you because I think it's the wrong choice. This movie should have gone with what the book did.
1: Yeah. And that, when I say better, I'm saying like in his in his version, this is the better version is what I'm saying. Like, this is his version. He ha- obviously but he has to believe it's better because otherwise he would have made a faithful adaptation that's the version he believes. But again, it's 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 the whole Shining, Stanley Kubrick, um, Stephen King argument. Stephen King hates The Shining, the movie, mm-hmm. because it made so many changes uh, that he just – it's not the book he wrote, and he hates it. And he does not – it's well-documented he hates that movie, even though it's a beloved movie and the vast majority of the people love it. Um, it's the same thing here. It's not that – when I say better, I'm just saying, like, if he thought this book was good the way it was – he would have made an adaptation, even if, or he would have just said, "Don't make this movie with me. I'm not your guy." And he also, would stu- he could be a director, and he would have stuck to those guns because if they came back to him and said, "We, you know, we, we, we," and because when he, when that quote I read you from the Collider interview, he obviously had ideas from the beginning of how he would sure. change it, and they could have just said, "Kick rocks, like we're not making that right. movie. That's not the tone of this book." And he said, "Okay, I'm not your guy, and that's fine." That's totally okay. But when they came back to him and they said, Well, we kind of like your ideas, he's like, See? You knew I was right. You knew I was right. That's the better
0: movie. And that's when I say or, better. You know, or or they or they were just like, shit, no one else will make this movie. Yeah. Let's um, just go with M. Knight who will make it.
1: Yeah. So again, that's my issue, is that like the ending is is the ending and a couple of the choices made are my biggest problems. And again, I'm just saying it bluntly. He should not have made this movie. This is not this should not have been made by M. Night Shyamalan.
0: Yeah, this should have been made by Brian Bortino, for sure. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Um, Let's get into our full categories, Patrick. Uh, We've been having this debate for a while, so let's get into our actual categories now. We're going to talk about best performance, and we're going to kick things off now. I'm going to go ahead and spoil this ahead of time, Patrick, because usually we like to go in two different directions. We like to pick our best performance, and then you'll go one way and I'll go another. So we give kind of you know praise to multiple people in this cast. Not going to do that tonight, Patrick, because your best performance is my best performance, and
0: I just want to rave about it. We all know who the best performance is. People know what just they look at the trailer. God damn it, it's Dave Bautista. This motherfucker could do it all. I love this guy. Dave Bautista was a pro wrestler, folks. And by the way, an MMA fighter, like an actual MMA fighter who had some fights, who got in some real fist fights, too. Tough guy, big guy, scary looking guy. A hell of an actor with an intense amount of empathy in his performances. You meet him in the beginning, and this is a great... One of my favorite parts of the movie is the opening. Oh, yeah. That's one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, it's fantastic. Little Wen, she's out there. She's catching grasshoppers. Sweet little Wen, putting grasshoppers in her little jar. She's taking little notes. She's a very nice little girl. And then she sees just the fucking Hulk. I mean, a massive, massive human coming at her, covered in tattoos and, and rippling muscle. And it's Dave Bautista, and they have this sweet little conversation. And he's so kind and so gentle to her because he knows just how horrible things are about to get. Yeah, And you see a guy who is genuinely trying to soften the blow. And then we get into the rest of the movie. A lot of what you see in the trailer, the idea of just trying, I'm trying to convince this nice little family who I otherwise would support and love and help out, convince them to do something so horrific and so insane and so unthinkable that it's going to drive them to the absolute brink of insanity. He tries his best to be a good and reasonable person, despite the fact that what he's propositioning is insane. And that comes across. And this guy was a pro wrestler. I'm not saying all pro wrestlers are big dodo heads, but I'm saying they don't even necessarily have a track record for that. Now, the only other wrestler I can think of that really does that really well is John Cena. If you've watched Peacemaker, he has a bit of heart in there too. He's learning the, the trade in that way. But Dave Bautista, in every role I see him in, he gets better and better and better. And this was really his movie in a real way. And it was fantastic. And I just, I just, I was bowled over by the, the, the contrast between the physical Leonard and the emotional Leonard. And that takes acting skill. And, and I guarantee you, there's not a ton of six foot two, 240 pound muscle, muscle bound, you know, hulks that can act that well, he can. Yeah. Um let me let me add some additional
1: praise because Dave Batista is the best performance in this movie. Dave Batista said in numerous interviews, you know, he wants to get into doing do he wants to get away from doing action roles. He wants to do more drama and rom-coms, and he wants to do things where it's not all about physicality because he's this big six foot three, whatever hulking giant of a man with a lot of muscles. He wants to get away from that. He wants to actually do more serious acting roles. Well, here I'm here to tell you folks hired this man for serious acting roles, because here's, he D- here's where Dave Bautista killed it in this film, absolutely killed it. When you first meet him, you meet this giant, hulking, huge man covered in tattoos, looks intimidating and scary. Every single thing he does in this movie, with the exception of one moment, and that's when he's wrestling with Andrew for the gun in the bathroom, he plays this role small. Mm-hmm nowhere in a million years would you if you heard this film and you didn't see it would you think this was six foot three hawking tattooed guy yeah you would think it's a you know a, a sunday school teacher for lack of a better mm-hmm. word like he yeah. looks he acts so small and i'm saying that as a compliment yeah there's nothing about him he's he he plays it in such a way that he 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 he, he um he minimizes himself in this role is so beautiful and so well done, and he plays it so perfectly. I was blown away. I'm, again, I'm a big Dave Bautista fan in general. I mean, I loved him in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Blade Runner. He's done a lot of stuff that I really like. Dune, Dune is great. Yeah, this is a film where I was like, they're finally letting him act. Mm-hmm. Like they're really letting him act. Like because it's yeah. not the the film has nothing to do with physicality, really. You know what I mean? Like, even the scene in the bathroom where he's wrestling over a gun, it's still not, hey, I'm six foot three, tattooed and muscled, and I can overpower you. It's more just the struggle where you see his size matched up against the other guy. But it's not even about, like, I'm this big, hulking bodybuilder looking of a dude. They don't use the physicality in this film at all. Yeah. And I love that. And his performance is so quiet and so strong and so sad. You mm-hmm. know what it reminded me of? The, the this is the, the one that this the role this reminded me of so much and a film that broke my heart and I'll never watch again. The Green Mile. Mm. The yeah, great Michael the great late great Michael Clark Duncan. He is so sweet and gentle in that movie, and it's such a sad movie. I rarely cry at movies. I cried like a child at that movie. <laughs> he's a gentle giant in that movie, and everyone's kind of scared of him because he's this big, hulking, giant guy, but he's the sweetest, most tender, caring, gentlest person you'd ever meet. That's what Dave Bautista was in this film. Nothing about this role had anything to do with his physicality. It was just him being a sweet, gentle, kind of heartbroken man in this film. Yeah,
0: of course he's heartbroken. He, he's a he's a youth leader, right? He's a coach on a team. He's a second grade teacher. He loves kids, and he's and he's asking a family to do something horrific, and he wears that. Yeah, he wears. I mean, this guy's a really good actor. I mean, I think that's the biggest coup for this movie. It wasn't even that they got M Night Shyamalan. It's that they got Dave Bautista, and he nailed it? Yeah, killed it.
1: Absolutely killed it. Yeah. Um Let's move on to most convincing psychopath in this movie. The most convincing, uh, cult member, if you will, however you want to say it with this group, I I'm interested by your pick. I know what your pick is and I'm really interested by this. So who did you find to be the most convincing psycho in, uh, in,
0: uh, knock at the cabin? Well, you know, we, we only, it's a very contained cast, very small. And, and the, the four psychopaths <laughs> that we talk about, the, the, these, these four horsemen of the apocalypse, They're all very different. Now, I I just, I looked at it like who in front of me could actually come close to convincing me that this was the real thing. Now, Leonard is the who we just talked about, Dave Bautista's character. Well, he's very soft and very sweet. And he's scary as fuck. It doesn't matter. He could try all he wants. He just looks terrifying, and I I don't think it's a good idea to trust him just just on a on a on a visual level. And then the contrast of all the sweetness, you would be like, I don't know what the fuck that guy's up to. Um, now Redman, played by uh, Rupert Grint. He's already off off the fucking charts, and he's angry and and pissed off, and 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 he, he's full of a lot of hatred. So you you already are off of him. And then there was um Adrienne. Yeah, yeah, Adrienne, who while being very sweet, seemed kind of manic. So I chose Sabrina, the nurse. She was trying desperately the whole time, like she's upset by the situation, but she's kind of wearing the 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 panic of it all. She's like, I really don't want to fucking do this, okay? I don't, I don't want to do any of this. I, like, we just have to. I don't know how to tell you that any better. Like, I'm trying, I'm trying to make it easy for you to to understand. Like, like I don't want to be in the situation at all. Something about her performance, played by, I should say again. Played by Nikki Amuka bird had that desperation in it that I was like, if any one of these people was going to get me to kind of lean towards them, it would be her. So I kind of get I get, I kind of get what you're saying when you explain it like that I mean I think the
1: most convincing person And not necessarily psychopath but the most convincing Person the person who, who clearly believes What they're telling you is to me You know it's mostly Leonard throughout the Entire movie he seems the most committed he's the Leader it's very easy to fall back yeah. into that um, And, and Redman is the most Obvious because he's the guy who actually seems Like a psychopath like he actually seems Like mm-hmm. a loony and we find out why later In the movie that he actually is which also confuses And blurs the line is this real is it false because you find out that he is the guy who had earlier years earlier had actually hurt uh, andrew in a bar uh you find out he actually is a guy who got arrested for smashing a bottle over his uh, over his head in what we assume is a hate crime because it's a gay couple um and you know that blurs the line again like is this real were they targeted like all this kind of stuff so very good my answer, So your answer kind of surprised me because Sabrina is, you said very much, she's the one who's like seems the most caring, the most nurturing, the most I don't want to be here, but I have to be here kind of thing. And so she's a little off putting in that way. You're going to laugh at my answer. Or you're going to be like, wow, that's an interesting answer because the most convincing side, the most convincing person of like manic emotion that like I believe in this film is Andrew. Huh? Andrew dealing with PTSD this entire film. He's the one who's dealt with the the most upfront examples of hatred towards his sexuality. We see a flashback scene: his parents, forty five minutes of awkwardness when they meet Eric for the first time, and it's just awful. And you feel that hurt of like my parents don't accept me. Then he gets attacked in a bar, in what we assume again is a hate crime. When they go to pick up their daughter in China. He has to play fake being his husband's, his wife's brother. They play it off that the wife couldn't be there. So he's so he is always on the outside. He's always feeling like that when he finally snaps in this film and, and goes and gets the gun. He's the one I'm most convinced would kill somebody. I don't really believe any of these other people want to kill anybody. They do a really well job of that. And that's also, again, in the book, again, you kind of get the sense that Leonard is a little bit more committed than the other people. Maybe, you know, like kind of get that sense in this film. They all seem committed because they have to be there and they do that really well. Andrew is the one that I'm like. This guy will kill somebody. He seems ready to pull that trigger. He seems ready to kill to protect his family. And so he was the most convincing to me because he was the one person in the entire cast who I believe would kill.
0: Oh yeah, no, I actually agree with your your sentiment there. I think what I should have been more clearer about on the on the um, categories was I, I was talking about the four people. And I, know, saying, I, I
1: know I do. I know
0: what you're yeah. going for. I just went in a different
1: direction because. None of them really sold me on it outside of Leonard because when he went to the TV and you could see it, you know, but right. I, I, that's the easy choice. I went with Andrew because like, he's the guy who I believe like really was there. He was there and willing to kill for what he wanted. And none of the other people I really felt like that. Like they, they do a good enough job with those four characters with Sabrina and Adrian and after, cause Redmond goes fairly early. Um, where I'm kind of like, they don't want to be here. They do a really good job of, like, selling me that they're not killers. Mm-hmm. And that,
0: yeah, I, kinda, I guess of those four, Sabrina was the only one that could possibly convince me that the apocalypse was real.
1: Yeah. And honestly, like, I thought Leonard did. So for that answer, Pure Lynn answered Leonard's
0: my answer. But I was more convinced. I was more scared of Andrew than anyone yeah, else in and, the film. Andrew had a reason. A- yeah. Andrew was, you You go back into his memories and you can see from him why He'd be ready to make a sacrifice, and and not of the not of not of anyone else's choosing, but his own. Yeah, the rage. You see the rage, and and yeah, justifiably so. Let me also say that justifiably yeah. Oh, yeah. so. No, he's had he's just lived a really shitty existence because of who he is and and of no fault of his own the world the world has been unfair to him and he's he's like tired of it at this point at this inflection point where people are like oh yeah also can you like kill one of your family members like voluntarily he's like all right i've had enough (laughs) yeah i'm done i'm done the rubber band has snapped I understand uh, his snap.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's talk about best scare. Uh, this is, a, again, very small, very intimate movie. There's not a lot of traditional scares in this film. But what was your favorite
0: scare in uh, Knock at the Cabin? Yeah, not a, not a lot of scares. But I think what's interesting about this movie is that it's a very quiet tension. Like there's not a lot of there. Like, it, it, it has to wait till very near the end to get to the shouting and the screaming and all that stuff. So it's very like. It's just kind of this seething tension, like steam rising. So whenever there was a loud something, those things got me. Like they actually, like, like a proper jump scare. And, uh, there was a point where it's kind of, it's getting near the end. And um, lightning starts Striking all over the planet like it's it's Lighting everything on fire and The the one crack of the lightning like boy It went right up the crack of my ass and fucking Popped me right out of the chair
1: yeah that was A good one. we were in a we were in a what was Called an ultra DX theater it's like Basically like an IMAX except not IMAX And it was really loud so it was
0: very like Yeah, like,
1: yeah I was like oh Jesus
0: Yeah I was uh, in a the Dolby theater which yeah, is also okay. all About the sound yeah, was like, very Oye.
1: very Loud uh, my favorite scare Was more like it was probably the one really traditional horror film moment in terms of like the pace of this movie is when Andrew goes for the gun and locks himself in the car. And Sabrina is trying to break in. He's trying to load the gun and he's trying to load a bullet into the, into the magazine and load the magazine into the gun. And she's smashing the window with her weird, put together weapon that was just to me the best tension in the movie like I, again I know not to go back to our earlier conversation about the tension being raised in the moment when Redman was died where all the issues I had there because I didn't really feel a lot of tension there that moment was like typical harrowing horror movie moment will he get to the gun in time before she breaks through the window with her weapon that to me was really good and also they said that because when he first tries to get in there she actually does slice his leg open with right. her weapon and so then that kind of like again it's it's you know you're not talking pure on like over overpowering man versus smaller woman where the physicality is is unequal in that moment uh she slices him down to size very literally by slicing his leg open and so he's running to try to get to this gun in the back of the car to try to load it the fingerprint thing won't work on the case so he can't get it open at first just really good good,
0: really good classic horror movie tension in that moment and another little shout out i'll give was when he When he's, they've locked Leonard into the into the bathroom, and then Leonard makes this loud bang like he's broken out of the window. Well, again, uh, Leonard's the size of a barn door, and the window (laughs) is not. It's actually small. It's all like a decorative window, and they're like, "There's no way he got out of that window." And so Andrew points the gun at the shower curtain, which is fully closed. And when he shoots that gun, it kind of gets you in that moment. And then there's like an additional scare, which is then Dave Bautista fucking blows out of the fucking curtains and starts wrestling with him. Like it was kind of like a nice little double scare on. There yeah. Too. Yeah. He shot him just not dead. So yeah. It, it seems like it would take more than one regular bullet to stop a Bautista.
1: Yeah. So what is your introduction for this movie, Patrick? There's our next category. What is your introduction for this movie? And I assume you're talking about Dave Batista showing up and, you know, being the very sweet, kind, gentle second grade teacher that he is and capturing grasshoppers with Win. First of all, also, let me say, I'm not a parent. Uh, you are. I, don't, I, know, I know 100% you don't need my advice. I'm just telling you, you don't need my advice as a parent. <laughs> And for the most part, Wynn's like, I don't talk to strangers. And and, and Leonard's like, well, I'm Leonard. Now we're not strangers. Hell to the no. Okay? Tell your kids. Tell your kids, Uncle Damon said, do not ever talk to strangers. (laughs) I don't care if they introduce themselves or not. Do not talk to these people,
0: no matter who they are. No, absolutely. Um, uh, Our our four horsemen of the apocalypse, they introduce themselves because they're trying very desperately to humanize themselves before they act, uh, ask for this heinous act to occur. Um, So I thought to myself, well, well, Damon and I need introductions. And if I'm put in the shoes of these, uh, these four horsemen, uh, the first thing I'm going to do is go, hi, everybody. I'm Patrick. Uh, (laughs) Charlie Manson face tattoos all over the body. (laughs) listen, I'm an atheist and I've been an atheist for as long as I can remember. I'm about to tell you some fucking weird shit that I would never believe in a million years, but you got to trust me that it's real. Okay. I don't, I never believed. I never thought about any of this stuff, but now I got to tell you some shit that's going to turn your draws Brown. Okay. Hear me out and then go. And then I would get into the spiel.
1: Yeah, that's good. I I, I get that. Here's, Here's the two things, here's one thing I would never utter in my introduction, because I am in a lot of ways the Dave Batista. I'm six foot three, I'm 260 pounds, I'm covered in tattoos, I'm not as muscular, unfortunately, as Dave Batista, <laughs> but I am a big kind of intimidating dude if you don't know me, right, six foot three, big guy, you know, so I have to come at you from a different angle, I can't come at you as myself, because I am very loud, I am very outspoken, I would scare the shit out of this family, um, without fail, so the first, the two words I would not utter that you did. Now you're different because you are you are also covered in tattoos and everything, but you're not six foot three. Immediately physically, you're not the no. guy they're like run
0: the other way. I'm, I'm the about guy, the size of when, so it's not really. <laughs> you gonna yeah, scare I'm anybody. the
1: guy they cross the street to get away from. Um, <laughs> two words I would never say. Trust me, because that fails me right away. You're you're not going to trust a big tattoo guy. I would have to. I like your intro because I'd be very similar. I'm an atheist. I've been an atheist my entire time. I would, (laughs) I would laugh and say, "Listen, I don't do acid, but this is going (laughs) to sound like an acid trip." Okay. (laughs) Have you ever done drugs? Okay. Have you? Okay. We're on an even playing field. You've done drugs at some point during your life. Okay. Remember that time you took the really wacky drug and it really you were cooking your (laughs) shoe and thinking it was dinner? Okay. That's the shit I'm about to tell you about, folks. And then I would launch into my spiel (laughs) about the apocalypse because. Anything else is gonna sound psychotic. Like any, like as calm and as like put together as, as Leonard is in his speech, I'm still like, dude, this is complete horse shit. Like, <laughs> I gotta set the base right away to say, I don't believe this shit. Yet here I am, <laughs> here I am. You know what I mean? Like, I gotta set, I gotta set the standard from the very get go yeah. that I don't believe anything that I'm saying. But yet somehow I'm telling you this, and the last two words I'm going to mention are trust me, because that immediately is going to throw me <laughs> off, because you ain't trusting me. I know better you ain't trusting me.
0: <laughs> uh, I am Damon Martin, and I don't want to die, but I'm about to say some wild shit.
1: Yeah, I would just go up and I would say, listen, uh, you guys know my wife. Whew, I would never say a bad word against her, but she's a real puss-
0: f- fucking piece of work.
1: Uh, <laughs> sorry. Quoting another favorite of our movies.
0: Wolf of Snow Holland. Yeah, so shit.
1: One of my all time favorite quotes. Uh, you, you know Shout my outs wife. to Jim Cummings. Yeah, you know my wife. She, yeah, she's the mother of my children. Never say a bad word against her, but she's a real piece of fucking work. Uh, <laughs> one of my all time favorite horror movie lines. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about our five favorite M. Night Shyamalan movies from one to five. Now, um, we didn't rank them all because he's got a big filmography. He's like fourteen films, so it's too much to rank them all. So we're gonna give our top five M Night Shyamalan movies. And spoiler, Patrick, we only have one difference in our top oh, five. Okay, we flip flop one. Um, so let's just go. Uh, our 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 differences are number two and three. I flip flopped those. You know what they are? Oh, okay, fair um, enough. Okay, they're the same otherwise. So let's just start off with number five and then go down the list. Uh, number right. five M Night Shyamalan movie is The Village.
0: I like the village. I like the, the village gets way too much hate. I the was village, like, that movie's
1: solid. The village gets a bad rap, and it's actually a really good movie. Joaquin Phoenix is good in that movie.
0: Um, Everybody, Adrian um, Brody, right?
1: Adrian Brody is good in that movie. Um, Sigourney
0: Weaver, Sigourney Weaver's in that movie. Not me, and, dude, this movie gets better and better the more he, I say it. Yeah, oh, yeah, and then
1: um, uh, what's her name? Uh, why am I forgetting her name? Um, the this v- is stupid. Um. Judy Greer, oh Judy Greer's in the movie too. I love Judy Greer. She's a great Judy like. Judy in the she's a, movie. But then who's the love girl. interest? Uh, it's uh, uh
0: How, Ron Howard's daughter. Um, uh, oh, Bryce it is Dallas, Bryce Dallas. Howard. Bryce Dallas okay, Howard. thank That's you. That's right. That's right. Yeah, she's Bryce great. Dallas Howard. She's great. I love. It's a village. good movie. Yeah. It, it It's it's overhated because it does have the twist ending. Yeah. Which is, um, we, we're not gonna. We shouldn't get into this. Go. We'll be here for three hours if we do it. Yeah. But but the twist ending in that movie is that they 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 are in modern times. That you think it's an old like yeah, 1690s you know pu- pu- puritan thing and it's not people didn't like the twist boo-hoo it was yeah. a great movie yeah
1: number four we've got split which is a yeah. more recent movie james mcavoy anya taylor joy first time i'd ever seen anya taylor joy was in that film That was my second um, time uh great film great tension uh terrifying the the yeah, multiple the, movie. the multiple personalities with James McAvoy. The fact this is another one where I'm like, how this guy didn't get nominated for awards just drives me insane. He was so good in that movie.
0: It's it's a real feat, and I remember the the one thing I remember about this movie a is that I I saw this movie in Florida the year before in Florida. You know you know what movie I saw the year before hmm. the witch with oh, Anya okay. taylor joy there you go and so the year the year a year later i was in florida at the same exact time of year and i saw split with anya taylor joy and james mcavoy killer movie really really tense really kind of almost horrific it's pretty much a horror movie and then that fucking ending that post credit scene oh my god i literally just jumped up and went this is the shit bro and i fucking ran out and we'll get to that in a minute
1: yeah, so number two and three are flip-flop for us. I'm just going to name them, and then we'll talk about them. Uh, for me, number three was The Sixth Sense. Okay. For you, it was Signs. For me, number two was Signs, and number three was The Sixth Sense. So the same movies, just I had Signs number two and Sixth Sense number three. You had Signs number three and Sixth Sense number two. So the same movies. Yeah. Um Again, interchangeable. Honestly, I'll be honest. I saw your list. I was like, well, fuck, we're going to have the same list. I flip-flopped it because I was like, you know what? I do kind of like signs a little bit more. Um, and here's why Here's why I put signs number two over the sixth sense. I love The Sixth Sense. It's his, it's his biggest movie, his most well-known movie. I See Dead People, one of the most famous movie lines ever. Bruce mm-hmm. Willis is brilliant in it. I love the film. Here's why Signs for me was number two versus number three. It's more rewatchable. I've watched Signs dozens of times. I've seen The Sixth Sense a number of times, but if Signs is on TV, I stop and watch it. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. It's a very rewatchable movie. Not to say The Sixth Sense isn't. I'm just saying that like it's one of those movies where... I just it's so easy to watch and I just love it. So like that's why Signs to me is just a little bit ahead of Sixth Sense and that's
0: it. It's just because I I want to every time it's on I have to watch it. I love both movies actually. I think they're both really strong. Um I guess the on, the only problem I have with Signs literally the only problem is the whole water is the cure. That that's that's why yeah. the fuck would aliens come to a planet where they were allergic to literally everything yeah. on the planet um outside of that it's great it's scary it's dramatic it's interesting it's well acted it's well done it's a it's a proper m night Shyamalan movie like everything about it it's an incredibly well-made movie and then i put the sixth sense above it because it is truly an iconic movie i think it is a play it's something that goes into movie history and you just go holy shit like we never saw anything like that ending up to that point. I mean, maybe a few a few times you've gotten some really great twists in a, in American cinema. The twist in the end of the Sixth Sense is probably the greatest twist in American history, and everybody talks about it. and it, And I remember going to see it in the theater, going like, "Wow, this movie's like pretty trippy. It's pretty weird." And then that ending goes, and I, when that ending hit, I was like, "Oh my god!"
1: So you saw you saw, it, you saw it. it and didn't know about it ahead of
0: time. I didn't know jack yeah, shit was, about it before, so.
1: I didn't actually see it until it was out on video I didn't see it in the theater yeah. But I still avoided the spoiler So I didn't know going into it what happened So I'm so glad I think, that, I think that probably changes the experience Of The Sixth Sense Because now it's so common Like if you had never seen it It would be hard for you to see that movie And not know the ending Yeah because it's so out there, but like, and
0: that fucks with the rewatchability because you know exactly, and that's again, that, It's
1: it's a it's I'm splitting hairs, I'm really splitting hairs. Totally, right yeah, to say. these and, are two great movies. And the side, the other reason, the one other reason why I have signs number two for me is because the one moment to me is the scariest moment in an M. Night Shyamalan movie, which is the alien in Brazil when that's they're so showing good. the video of the birthday party and you see the alien cross and you see Walking Phoenix jump back in his chair. Yeah. Great moment, such so good, good, the man. single best. Scary moment in an M. Night Shyamalan movie, in my opinion.
0: It tapped into something much more human and visceral, which is like if we were all watching TV and there was live footage of like Bigfoot walking across <laughs> the screen, everybody would collectively shit themselves. Yeah. Because something that we've all been sure was not real is shown to be real in that moment, and it's scary in the moment. Like, what a great moment. Uh, again, great. M. Night Shyamalan can make tons of great moments
1: number one for both of us and to me it's not even really that close and it's not that i don't love other movies i, I just said signs is one of my i love signs yeah. uh i love i love that movie. i love every movie that we've yeah. listed on this but i, I from, like them all very but much. number number one was a bullet for both of us is unbreakable his second <laughs> big major film so um good. the single greatest superhero origin story ever told in my opinion in in, mm-hmm. in film form not Talking comic books, but like a comic book that was never a comic book. Um, the character development, the twists and turns in this movie, the the um, acting—Bruce Willis, uh, Robin Wright, Samuel L. Jackson—off the charts. I mean, this film is just. Br- I mean, this is this is a this is like. I'm not. I don't know where I'd rank it all the time, but like this is a top ten. Worthy film ever for me. Like I don't know if I'd actually put it. Into, I'm just saying, like hypothetically, like yeah. it's
0: that good. I could. I mean, I see it somewhere in my top twenty-five. I don't know where. Yeah. But that. By the way, that's a. My, you know how massive my list is. Yeah. That's of what I'm, just, that I I say, I'm saying. It's of that level is what yeah. I'm getting. Like, yeah. It, it's, deserves, it's, it deserves to be in
1: that distinction.
0: It's very high up there. It's somewhere very high up on my list of just amazing movies. And I I don't even know. I've never even told you this before, but when I I, it's Unbreakable makes me realize this. M Night Shyamalan is the only director that I actually intend to watch his trailers, and it's because of Unbreakable's trailer. Oh yeah, it was the greatest trailer that ever was. the the whole The whole trailer is just um bruce willis and this doctor sitting in a doctor's office surviving the train crash and he's talking about you know blah 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 this and this and that you don't have a scratch on you and i was like what is that what is this and then the title comes up unbreakable then i go to watch it and i go okay it's about a guy who can't be broken that's kind of it's interesting okay let's check that out then i learn that it's a hero superhero origin story at the end and that's fucking amazing and i go oh my god Like this is, or this is a superhero origin story without ever being tied to anything. It was great. It was an incredible movie, but because of that movie, M. Night Shyamalan's the one guy where I'm like, I do want to watch the trailer ahead of time there because I know that what I'm getting in that trailer and what's going to be unleashed in the movie are two very different things. And he's just angling the carrot and I love that I don't know like he's the one guy that I make the exception for that and like like all comic book movies I actually do like seeing comic book movie trailers just because it's just it's just part of the experience even though it's, it gives away
1: most of the shit it's, it's a popcorn movie you're not you know you're not yeah it's yeah, different
0: it's, but like also there's a lo- there's a there's this great drama behind a good comic book and movie it's a, the anticipation
1: gets built from a great trailer like that like yeah I, when I saw so, the so fir- those ones I forgive yeah. yeah when I saw the first trailer for Avengers Infinity War I was so excited dude I was like on the edge of my seat oh my god I can still remember that trailer. I go back and watch that trailer every now and again. Cause I love the, t- i love the feeling that made me have when I watched that for the first time. Um, yeah. Here's my other controversial statement. I'll say tonight, Patrick, and this one's going to make you spin on your head. Ooh, I like that. The twist in unbreakable
0: is better than the twist and the sixth sense. I think it is for guys like you and me. I, I think, I think it makes sense for, for guys, because for genres like us, when you get, even though the, there's a, the, even though that, uh, uh six Sense is a horror movie. I still think the, the the twist in Unbreakable is way cooler because
1: when you get to it, it's so unexpected in that moment. You've yeah. come the entire time. I, the, the film's thirty years old. I'm not going to save spoilers. <laughs> um, when you finally get to the realization of who Mr. Glass is, who you know Samuel L. Jackson's character is, you don't see it coming. I mean, it is such a shock in that moment because you've you've the entire film builds him up to be, you know. Alfred, or or Alfred, Batman's butler, or or you know the the faithful servant, the faithful guy who believes in the hero. He's Mm -hmm. the guy who's built. He wants to create a hero. That's his his entire purpose. Is he wants there to be a superhero. He wants so badly there to be. He's the Professor X. He's the you know he's the guy behind the guy. That's who he is. The entire film. And then when you realize at the end that he's the villain. Yeah. holy shit, did that knock me on my head the first time I saw this movie. I was like, no,
0: yeah. no. And it's such a smart like storytelling um, uh, device, which is t- typically your grand heroes in a really like kind of, in these more typically heroic movies, the v- the main villain is like a mirror, not in a mirror image, but he's an antithesis of the hero. Yeah. If the hero is unbreakable, and kind of meek and kind of uh, and 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 a flawed individual that is Bruce Willis's character in unbreakable and the flip side is a guy who's literally made of glass who can break w- at the blow of wind but is sharp and smart and creative and 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 uh, kind and actually wants to build up this guy who is kind of kind of beat himself down because of his life choices you would never have assumed but when you line up all the parts, yeah, every great superhero's arch nemesis is that to them. And it was, it was so genius. And it's like, it makes you think like, does M9 Shyamalan like love comics? Cause he really nailed that one. It's so brilliant. Also real quick, I don't want to get too hard. We're
1: already completely off tangent here. I do want to mention one other thing. <laughs> you mentioned the post-credits scene in split, yeah. which is when they reveal it's Bruce Willis's character from unbreakable is back. And he's looking into the character from split. One of the coolest, like, unexpected, holy shit moments in film history. And then... They released Glass, which Let's is... Let's not talk about Glass. <laughs> I'm just going to say we did our top five M. Night Shyamalan movies. I don't know what number. His, I don't know. He's like 16 films. That's number 16.
0: <laughs> wait, most... better than,
1: Wait, over, over the happening? Over, over... Oh, yeah, because it's so You'd disappointing. think it's worse
0: than the happening? Because
1: the tease for that movie was so amazing. I thought we were getting Unbreakable 2, and we got anything but...
0: Yeah, look, I didn't like Glass. I don't want to talk about Glass. Yeah, I'm upset so, about Glass. Yeah, uh, but I do remember sitting in the theater watching Split, and when that after credit scene shows Bruce Willis, I was like, "I and I'm, it's there's like ten people in this theater." Yeah, time, and I was like, "No!" Out loud. <laughs> no. Oh. What? What? what and then he turns around and i was like holy shit and i just i just stood up and stomped my way out of the out of Do the theater i was like I, that's the coolest thing i fucking ever seen i
1: remember what i said you want to hear what i said please in a theater and i have no idea how many people were there i really don't i don't remember to be honest it wasn't a lot because i didn't see it first weekend by the way when i saw split it was later i didn't see it right away when it ended and that scene came on. I literally, the the, the, the skin goes black because it's like the very end of the movie. I went, no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> That's I was great. so excited. I was so excited. And then glass happened. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's get under our last couple categories here, Patrick. Let's talk about sequel, remake, or leave it alone. This is one of our new categories, Patrick. So this is a, a, a category where we take a movie. And we look at it and we say, should it be? A, should they make a sequel to this movie? Should they remake this movie or should they just leave it alone? I'm going to go first. You already know my answer to this is remake. Mm-hmm. This is not the film that it should have been, in my opinion. It did not have the tone that it should have had. It did not have the demeanor that it should have had. Uh, the the The... the The somber way this film ended or the somber way the book ended was nothing. This film ended in such a hopeful, even though somebody died, multiple people died, but like one half of the marriage died, uh, the partners died. I was still like, yeah, but you ended on like they stopped the apocalypse. So it's all worth it. That's bullshit. No, this is not, that's not what this film should have been. And again, this is not, once again, I want to keep beating my chest on this and this is not just about me liking the book better this is just about the choices they made did not sit well with me in this film. So remake 100%. And it's not, again, let me be clear. It's not saying faithful to the source material. You can change things and still come to that conclusion of kind of like the bleak, um, you know, the the left up to interpretation kind of ending. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. But the choices they made were just too neat and too clean. Uh, I did enjoy that. So remake hundred percent for me.
0: It's a hundred percent remake for me as well. And it is like, like what we were saying earlier. Give it to Brian Bertino. Frank Darabont. Or or Frank Darabont. I would I would genuinely like to see Brian Bertino do this, but also still with the same cast, still with Dave Bautista and everybody in place, just make it that movie. Um it would no one would go see it. It'd be too hardcore, it'd be too nihilistic, but it'd fucking rule. Yeah. So the
1: next one of course is can we survive this horror film we we did we talked about a little bit earlier and we were kind of joking about like how much we would believe these people and my belief would be zero um as we've said no not trying to offend anyone in our audience be clear I don't care what you believe in that's your choice um we are both atheists so right away when they're like the apocalypse has happened I'm like all right dude you're not convincing me like go ahead and slit your throat kill the other guy just finish what you're doing and we're gonna get out of here um because that wouldn't happen like I wouldn't know I wouldn't buy it so yeah I survive I would I would personally if I was on the other end of this, I was Eric, Andrew, andor Wynn, I would survive because I would never buy into the bullshit. I would never buy in to, I don't care how many TV screens you show me, a planes crashing yeah. and you know lakes burning on fire and uh you know earthquakes is uh, none of it. I would not I would not buy a single bit of it. So yeah, I would survive and also the other more serious part of the would you sacrifice someone I no I would not my family is me and my girlfriend are our two dogs um, I don't have children but my dogs are my children I love my dogs like I know people are gonna laugh but I love my dogs like I love children I would not sacrifice either them or my girlfriend or myself so nope I mean let the world end is kind of my thesis here
0: yeah I think the answer here is can anyone else survive? Because it's me, my wife, and my two children. It's not happening. Sorry, pal. Uh, I I, I really don't care. Um, Yeah. Sorry, everybody. I'm going to survive, and the world will not. We will walk the earth in its darkness, just me and my family. And I probably prefer that anyway, because there's too many fucking yahoos around anyway. (laughs) <laughs> the way they sell it they're like
1: you'll walk in a post-apocalyptic world and just be you alone I was like it didn't actually sound that bad like you're really selling yeah like, not- have you not- seen the world yeah you're not selling <laughs> me on something that's gonna convince me otherwise here folks like I'd be by myself and I just have the world to myself <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it actually uh, sounds not bad a little enticing right now just me and my family no one else like I don't have to deal with other people or bills or
0: anything yeah. sounds kinda good. No zombies, huh? Yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not totally sold. This isn't a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, let's all hey kids, let's all go to Costco <laughs> for the meat rots.
1: Yeah, that's good. Let's have get... a big cookout. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> final category of always, as always Patrick, is it scary uh Knock at the
0: Cabin? Is it scary? Uh, not in the traditional sense, no, but I do think between the score and i think the 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 ability to sustain the tension and the dread that this movie is scary on that level did it scare me of course it didn't scare me it's not and it's not really like designed as a scary movie it's designed as a tension filled movie and does it deliver tension yes all the way up until that you know way too hopeful ending everything else from that point is tension filled you're on the edge of your seat you want to know what is going to happen. You're not sure or safe in the idea of what is going to happen. So there's that element of the unknown in that way. I would say, yes, this movie is scary.
1: Um, I'll disagree and say, no, it's not. And and really it comes down to my complaint earlier and I'll bring it up again. Now there is tension. You're right. Tension. There's tension. Just not enough of it. It's not that the, 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 the stakes are never raised to that level. I never got a foreboding sense of dread with this movie. I got tension, But not really dread. I never really felt a sense of dread, even with, like, when the whole apocalyptic stuff started actually happening. Never really felt that sense of dread. And, again, the tension should have been ratcheted up more. And so that's why I say it's not scary, because unlike a film like, let's say, Speak No Evil, which I'm not even talking about the ending. Not at all about the ending. I'm just talking about, like, the weird, like, tension throughout that movie. It's so off-putting and so unnerving that it's just, like, uncomfortable, right? Like that's it's also word, one of the
0: best movies I've ever seen. It's kind of hard. You, you speak I know, No Evil very good.
1: When you texted me originally, you saw it right before I saw it. I saw it, like, the, de- the night after or later that same night. And you texted me and you said it's a really uncomfortable movie. And when I watched it, I was like, okay, now I get what you're saying. Before I even got to the ending, I got that. You know what I mean? Right. This one was like, it's tension, but it's not enough tension. It's like... Like talking about the rubber band pulled, you know, like when you pull a rubber band out really tight and, you know, if you just like you touch it, it could snap. That kind of feeling wasn't that with this film. Never felt that never felt that level of tension. So in that way, for me personally, no, it wasn't scary because they didn't do it enough. They should even with the even with the happy go lucky, weird bow tie ending that aside, just the tension. it Just it wasn't enough for me. I wanted more. I wanted the stakes to be raised and it just never got there for me personally
0: yeah I felt like it was a tight a super super tight um, um, rubber band and then the ending it was like surprise everyone, it's a really soft piece of spaghetti. yeah <laughs> like that that was the problem and like like because it, 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 it you knew when it wasn't gonna make the big left turn and kill when. So when that happened, and they it, it didn't make that left turn. Like I, I can tell you that I'm sure the movie just went south for you from there. You were just like, ah, fuck. Okay, they're not going to go that hardcore. Never mind. This movie's not the movie I thought it was going to be. I never had that. I didn't have that in my in the back of my brain. So for me, I was like, oh shit. So what's going to keep happening? What's going to keep happening? And then the ending happens, and I'm like, oh okay. It kind of, it kind of, it has a soft landing.
1: Yeah. It's just, again, a very gentle, like, you know, very, bow. they put a bow tie on it and I didn't, and again, it's not even about the whole, we need to, we need to have, um, you know, an open-ended movie where it's left up to interpretation. I'm not even saying that. I'm saying, give me an ending, whatever that is. If it is the bow tie ending, or if it's like a, the apocalypse actually happens ending, which I would be more on board for. Um, if you're going to like the world's still falling apart kind of ending, you know what I mean? Like we didn't make the choice and the world's actually going to shit. Um, that would probably be said well more, if you're going to give me an ending where we know what happens, or again, if you're going to give me the bow tie ending, but at least give me the stakes up till then, you know what I mean? Give me the, raise the stakes up to that moment. And, again not- it's not that i'm I'm not advocating for them to kill a little kid in the movie, but that is such a key impactful moment that completely changes the tone of everything happening with everything that happens from that moment on and and you miss that in this movie, yeah. Well, this doesn't have it. There it is. All right, folks, we're going to get out of here. I obviously want to say a big thank you, as always, to everyone that tunes into Rewind of the Living Dead. Make sure you check us out on all of your favorite uh, podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and, of course, over on my website, NerdCoreMovement.com. And, of course, please go support our new YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Rewind of the Living Dead. Uh, we are building our subscriber base over there. The views are going up, so we appreciate everyone that's tuning in so far. Continue to please like and please subscribe to the page. We really appreciate it. It's a huge help for us. So go check it out. I know we took too long to get to YouTube, but we are there now. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to look at our faces if you don't want to. You can just listen to the audio. It's fine. Uh, I won't take any offense to that. Uh, so go check us out on YouTube as well. You got questions, comments, movies you'd like us to review. We just got a suggestion the other day, a movie that I think we're going to get to review here in the near future. Um, hit us up on social media, any social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, or Instagram. Just search for Rewind of the Living Dead, or Rewind of Living Dead, and you will find us on there. And you can also hit us up on our own personal channels. I am at Damon Martin, and you are? At Director Patrick. And you can also send us an email, at Gmail.com. That's rot. At Gmail.com, and we will gladly get your emails and listen to your suggestions or things you have to say about the show, like hey, we don't want the little curd to die. I get it. You understand. I understand. Listen, you can disagree with me. That's fine. Uh, Folks, we appreciate everyone that tunes in each and every week. We'll see you next week for another edition of Rewind of the Living Dead. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. Peace.